Hey, everybody, you're listening to episode six of the Ask a Freelancer podcast. Ask a Freelancer is brought to you by Cushion, a simple forecasting app for freelancers. Cushion gives you a bird's eye view of your schedule and income so you can plan months ahead and reach your financial goals for the year. Learn more about Cushion at cushionapp.com. Let's get to the questions for today's show. Now, remember, these are questions that you sent to at Cushion App on Twitter, and somehow we also have real recordings of you asking these questions. So here we go. What sacrifices do you make to get the work you want? Okay, so what sacrifices do I make to get the work that I want to be doing? Okay, I'll tell you the sacrifice that I make. I sacrifice time every week to build the career that I want to have tomorrow. And so I think the temptation is to sacrifice time and energy on client work that's not paying properly that is fun to do. So you're sacrificing extra time and energy, extra time investment into projects for other people right now. So that's like a short-term sacrifice today that pays off in the short term in small ways. And that payoff is you enjoyed that work. The way that I view it though, I think a a better way to approach this is to sacrifice in the short term to build the career that you want down the road, to think long term. I don't think you want to get in these situations where clients aren't paying you properly, where people aren't valuing your time. If you really want to value your time, if people aren't willing to pay you today to do the work that you want to be doing, what projects, businesses, products, portfolio pieces can you invest in today? What sacrifices can you make of your own time to build the portfolio, to build the things that get you where you want to be, to get you to the places where people are valuing your time tomorrow? It's so easy to make those short-term sacrifices for that short-term gain, right? It's so easy when that client comes with a fun project, but a small Uh, paycheck. It's so easy to say yes to that. Give them all your extra time and energy and invest that in their project. And then they take that project and they go earn dividends on that work in the long term. That's easy to do. We all do it, right? Here's what I suggest doing. And I think it's way more powerful. I suggest that instead of investing that extra time and energy into their project, You invest it into your own portfolio, into your own project, into your own business, into your own products. And those sacrifices, that time and creative investment, that will pay off in the long term for you. And so for me personally, instead of taking extra work that I can't afford to do time-wise for somebody else, instead of investing that extra time and energy into their projects... I try not to take on that work and I try to build my own things. So I created a podcast a few years ago, the Creative Pep Talk podcast, and that was an attempt to spend a day a week 
building something that was going to take me to places in my career that I wanted to go. That was a sacrifice that I gave every single week, a significant period of time and energy building up that bank account. And instead of giving that to a client who's then going to take that work and, and, and get dividends paid to them in years to come, that thing's going to slowly pay off as I give to it year after year. And to me, it's kind of the difference between renting a property and buying a house. So like when you rent, you're making a short-term sacrifice of, of uh, rent money for the short-term gain of having a place to stay. But when you invest in a mortgage and you pay a little bit extra, you sacrifice a little extra today, you're actually going to get dividends in the long term. You're investing in your future self. And in that same way, instead of doing the easy thing that says, okay, this project is fun, but it doesn't pay enough. I guess I'll do it just to get the, the payoff of enjoying the work today. Take that same time investment, that same extra sacrifice and invest it into your own projects, even if they're not going to have a short-term payout. Because in the long term, you're going to create a portfolio and a body of work. You're going to create uh, a reputation that's going to pay off tomorrow. And I think those types of sacrifices are much smarter. In the, in the times that I've done that, I have uh, never regretted it. How do you work? when clients aren't interested in a discovery phase. Do you do your own anyway? Do you just work only with what they give you? So what if the client isn't interested or provoking you to do the discovery phase, the research phase, the development? What do you do when they're not asking to be a part of that, they're not stimulating that for you. Now, here's kind of how I look at it. Uh, I think that no, you need to, if you're gonna be a high performer and you're gonna make fantastic work, I think that you need to have your own routines that cause you to be creative and effective uh, always, to always be able to execute the highest level of your work. And I think one of the core ways you do that is by having a routine that maybe has nothing to do with your clients that maybe they don't even know about or care about. Uh, I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast and he said something really interesting that stuck with me. He interviews all these top performers, all these top thinkers, these massive successful people. And he said that here's what he's realized, that all of them have different routines. However, all the top performers do have routines. And so the thing that seems to matter isn't that you have a particular routine, but that you have your own routine. And it makes me think of Stephen Pressfield's book, uh, <clears throat> The War of Art. He talks a lot about this idea of resistance. And so when you're going to create your work, whatever it is you do, whatever it is that for you is your work, there's going to be this level of resistance. There's going to be this thing that's trying to stop you from putting the right time and energy into the work that you're supposed to be doing. And his 
biggest suggestion to fight this resistance is a routine, a thing that you do every single time you do your work, something that you can do without thinking about it. You don't wake up and ask yourself, do you want to brush your teeth? You don't leave it down to your own emotional state. You just do it because that's what you always do. And I think when it comes to executing high performance work, you have to have this subconscious thing that just comes into play whenever you start the routine, whenever you flick over that first domino so that your brain doesn't have time to fight you. I was listening to another podcast called the Story Brand Podcast, and they had the pro golfer Ben Crane on there, and I was mesmerized by how insane his routine was. Like the this golfer, especially in putting and then even in the drives, like there were all these like minuscule steps to train his subconscious to be ready to perform and to hit the ball in a very particular way. And he actually said that he practices this routine over and over and over so that when he goes to execute, he has a quiet mind. And what does that have to do with you if you're a developer or uh, a writer or if if you're a creative, a designer, an illustrator, what does that have to do with you? It doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're doing work that matters, if you're doing high-level performance work, you have to give your best self to the work. And so much of yourself is going to get in the way. And so in my opinion, it doesn't really matter what the process is that it's given to me by the client. I'm going to do a similar thing that I always do. I have a I have a set of processes when it comes to ideation, when it comes to the sketchbook phase as an illustrator. I have all kinds of things I do every single time that has nothing to do with what they're doing because I know how I need to perform and what gets me there and they don't and I'm not really interested in following their exact routine. I'm I'm interested in doing what works for me. All right, you guys are in for a little treat. Next up, we have a guest freelancer to answer our last question. Laura Bohill, aka Laura B from Ghostly Ferns, the collective out of Brooklyn. She's a designer and illustrator. You can find her work at Lovely As Can Be. That's B with a B E E like a bumblebee.com uh, and uh, go check her out. She's got great work. She's got uh, tons of fun stuff happening over there. You're going to really enjoy this. Here it is, Laura B. How do you determine your pricing for each project? How does it stay consistent across all projects? Hello! So, for pricing and, well, any aspect of freelancing, I believe that flexibility is key. Although I do have a developed pattern to my pricing, I understand that what works for one client and one project won't necessarily work for the next. 
And I think that bulldozing your way into a project saying, this is how I work, my way or the highway, is no way to start a working relationship. If your client isn't on the same page as you, then talk about it with them, have a conversation and arrive at a middle ground. Unless you think the project's gonna suck, then burn your laptop and run for the hills. Never look back. So I have a consistent pricing pattern. I think this is mostly because I specialize and I've had a good few years of freelancing to refine my process. Not that I 100% know what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, we'll pretend I do a little bit. So what is this consistency? Typically my pricing is deliverable based. This way of pricing, this is the way of pricing that I found works best for me and my clients. It's not to say it's the only way that I do it. There have been odd time-based projects along the way and I have no doubt there'll be more. So let me break down how deliverable-based pricing works for me. So I'm an illustrator and as you know, us illustrators get paid in magic beans. Yes, that's how it works. So if a client comes to me and says, hey Laura B, can you make me a set of 10 icons? I'd be like, heck yeah, cool and awesome client friend, but it's gonna cost you 20 beans. Because if you look at my imaginary price list, you'll see that it's two beans per icon. Maths. Yes, I'm British and I say maths, not math. So how the heck do I know each and every icon I make ever will cost two beans? Surely each project is different. Because in the back of my mind, I have an hourly rate and I roughly know how many hours it will take me to work through my process from initial concept to final icon. This is the key, even if your pricing is deliverable based, you should be aware of how much time it's going to take you. So how do you ensure that you don't run over this time estimate? What happens if your client asks for 5,000 revisions? Well, here's the thing. At the beginning of each project, I'll draft up a contract for my client with some super simple terms. No jargon. Within these terms, I talk about revisions. Going back to the icon example, my contract may read the following. Laura will be creating a 10-piece icon set for the estimated total price of 20 beans. This pricing allows you to request up to one round of revisions on icon sketches and up to two rounds of revisions at the vector stage. Any revision requests beyond this will be billed at an hourly rate of two beans per hour. So usually, clients don't want to get into the realm of paying beyond the initial quote and doing the hourly rate thing. So we get everything wrapped up within those rounds of amends in the contract. But if things do run over, you have the flexibility to do so and your time is covered cost-wise. One thing to note that when working with this kind of agreement, it's important that every time you send work to a client at any point you're in the project, whether it's sketches or you've just started digitizing or you're like pretty much ready to get wrapped up, make sure they know where you're at and how many rounds of revisions they have remaining. 
I've definitely made the mistake in the past of not being so clear as where we are in the project and I've assumed that the client would remember from the terms we have in the contract. So communication and transparency is always key. I mean it is with any part of freelancing. So what if a cool as heck project comes in but the client doesn't have a budget that aligns with your pricing? Regardless how you determine your pricing, again, it's about being open and having this discussion. So your client might come to you and ask for a 10-piece icon set, but maybe they only have enough magic beans to cover five icons. It's up to you to make the call on what to do. I take this on a project-by-project project basis. You can suggest cutting back on the deliverables to match your pricing. Maybe for your client's project, having 10 icons would be amazing, but maybe having five icons would work just as well. But maybe you could also trim a little bit off your pricing to meet in the middle. So your, your client has a budget to create five, they want 10. Maybe you could meet in the middle and make seven or eight. Maybe this project's cool enough for you to take a little bit of a cut. But then maybe the client absolutely needs 10 icons. Maybe they're working on an app and they just need these 10. Maybe they have 10 categories and they absolutely need all 10. And cutting your pricing by 50% is a big ask. It's friggin' huge. So unless you're in love with the project, I'd suggest referring that project on if you can. Maybe someone else can work to that budget, but... I don't know, it depends on what that budget is. I would never refer a bad rate to anyone that I know because that's just not cool. So pricing, it's a funny one, always subject to change, but my top advice would be to try out different approaches, find what works best for you, but always be flexible and have that magic bean conversation with your client. See ya. That concludes another episode of Ask a Freelancer. Don't forget to check out Cushion at CushionApp.com. I'm your host, Andy J. Miller. You can find my illustration portfolio and my other podcast, Creative Pep Talk, at www.andyj.pizza. Thanks to Nate Utesh and his band, Metavari, for all the tunes. You can listen to more at SoundCloud.com slash Metavari. Hey, Send us your freelance questions on Twitter at CushionApp, and it may just be answered in our next episode. And big thanks to Laura Bohill for being our surprise guest. Thanks, guys. See you soon.